All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see it? Did you know Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments notice. It arms Here. Like I don't, I will cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted the minute Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Chris Faber and thank you for joining us this week. Canucks Conversation is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to get onto their website right now. Lots of specials going on as per usual at ZephyrEpic.com. And I might as well bring in my co-host now because we got a lot of talking to do. David Quadrelli. Quads, how you doing, man? I am doing very well, Chris. I have just used promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word on Zephyr Epic. Dot com and I have found some very very good sales, Chris. I actually want to p- start pulling some baseball cards. That's that's might be oh. a curveball for this show. And again, there's another baseball analogy. But you know which ones I really like is the oh, they're like the tops Allen and Ginter. I, yeah, I think that's what, yeah Allen and Ginter's. I'm looking at it right now. I have a Bryce Harper rookie card of this style, and basically it's like a hand drawn portrait. It looks like, and they're super cool. Um, but yeah, that is that is the cards that I I really like. If I'm looking at baseball cards, that's what I go for. Man, I know we talk about it every time, but like that Nils Huglander rookie card is going to be so much fun. I mean, that's the one I'm still looking forward to. Oh man, I, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna pull it for sure. We what? Which card did we try and pull and we couldn't pull it when we opened all those boxes from Zephyr? Yolevi. 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 Yeah. yeah, we could not pull an Ollie Yolevi for the life of us. We could not find one, and we we pulled a Lafren- Lafreniere, and that's like the hardest card to pull. <laughs> And we, yeah. we can't pull a freaking Yolevi. But anyway, uh, let's get into the show, Chris. I am doing extremely well. I'm, uh, That's good. you know, recording this on Friday night with you, and it was a good day, to say the least. It was it was a good day. Awesome. And I was going to say, the only one that can pull Yolevi seems to be Travis Green, and it's out of the lineup uh, for the, what the Canucks are doing right now. Uh, I'm surprised Yolevi didn't get a run at forward, because I think that's where we're going to start talking about with this team. Um, quite the interesting lines from practice quads. I don't know if you uh, have the tweet right in front of you, but the fourth line, the extremely valuable fourth line of Erickson, Zach McEwen, and Brogan Rafferty on the Canucks fourth line. Is that something you're excited to see potentially against the Edmonton Oilers? Serious question, is that the cheapest fourth line the Canucks have rolled out in the past three years? Like, answer me. I think <laughs> I'm right. That is the cheapest fourth line they've rolled out. Maybe not Maybe not if you're including all practice lines. But yeah, that's, well, uh, that's a value line right there. You still have Louis Erickson on that line, Quads. He still makes $6 million. <laughs> that's a good point, but... Yeah, that yeah, that's a really good point. I think he might t- yeah, he might really skyrocket the value there uh more than having Beagle and Roussel on it does. But uh yeah, as for the lines, Chris, I think when I saw it, I was like there's no way they're going into a game with this. And of course, that was the line of questioning offered to head coach Travis Green as soon as the practice was over. And sure enough, he was like, yeah, I think I'm getting a, at the end of it, he said, I think I'm getting a few more questions about this than are, than are going to be uh, <laughs> necessary or something along those lines. He was like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Uh, he did say he expects one to two of Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and who was the third one that was out? Why, Brandon Sutter. Uh, Brandon um, Sutter. Yeah, he was saying at, he expects at least one to two of those guys to be available for tomorrow, but... While that means that the Canucks won't have to put a defenseman on the fourth line wing spot, Chris, uh, it does kind of show that in this season, you really have to be adaptable. And that's the word Travis used today is adaptable. You really, really have to be ready for anything because, you know, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but, you know, what if there was a COVID case or something along those lines or they wanted to make sure that everybody was safe and something along those lines, or they lose two guys to injury, whatever it is. Cause I think if they had a case, they'd probably just wouldn't play the game as they should. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, man, in this season, like 
you are that many injuries away, three injuries away from just not having any forwards on your taxi squad and you're going to have to use the defenseman in the forward spot. So it was interesting to see Brogan Rafferty in that spot because I know when you and I talked to him on the podcast a while back, I think we he told us that he played forward until he was 13. So that was an interesting little nugget. Yeah, I think he said he had to stop because he wasn't quick enough <laughs> as a forward <laughs> uh, and made the switch to defenseman. I, I'm wonder, I wonder when that happens in players' lives. Like, what? I feel like everybody wants to go out and be a scorer, right? Like, some people probably yeah. just naturally like to be defensemen, but I don't know. That's for another episode. But yeah, so we we miss Antoine Roussel, we miss Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter all from the lineup. Obviously, the interesting one right off the top is Brandon Sutter. Uh, he was shaken up in the last Canucks game for them. He missed a period of action, or, or just kind of missed the end of the first period of action. Didn't actually come out with the team in the second period, but did make an appearance throughout the rest of the game, back in his normal spot. But that that threw a loop into the lineup, really, that day. And, you know, that put Adam Gaudet back in the center for the game. I, I thought it's a spot where he looked okay, but looking at what they're going to be showing up here against the Edmonton Oilers, after a loss, I think it's specifically when we're going to see a change in the lineup. I'm wondering, do you think that there might be somewhat of a shakeup to the bottom six? Because I think the top six is safe to say we're going to have Huglander, Miller, Besser on that first line, Pearson, Horvat, Bertanen on the second line. Do you think it might be time for them to shake up what they see in the bottom six? Yeah, I think so. And it's tough to speculate because we don't know which of those players is going to be healthy. And I think my scenario changes depending on who's out, but... One guy I think they really need to get a better look at is Zach McEwen. I really think Zach McEwen should be in this lineup. And, you know, not to rag on anybody, but I just, I honestly, man, I don't really know what Antoine Roussel's bringing that they are so adamant on putting him in the lineup ahead of a guy like Zach McEwen. Um, you know, like, I get he's killing penalties, and that's not something McEwen's really great at yet. Um, but it just, it, like... There's a cost-benefit, right? And I just think Antoine Roussel, more often than not, is costing you more than he's actually providing for this team right now. And, you know, I, I think he's played a little better in recent weeks, as has most of the team. But, again, like, when you've got a guy like Zach McEwen just sitting on the bench, it just doesn't make much sense to me. So I think, yeah, if you're going to have a shakeup in that bottom six, which has had a lot of trouble putting the puck in the back of the net, I think you go with Zach McEwen. And I think, you know, obviously, depending on who's out, I Green did not seem thrilled uh, to have McEwen in the center spot. Spot, uh, when he was talking to media today which was interesting um but yeah I, I I think depending on who's out I think we should see Zach McEwen get a look here yeah I'm, I'm right there with you I think I tweeted out the other day before the game started like I, I'm not sure why McEwen isn't playing when you are putting out guys you know like Howerluck, Michaelis, uh, Antoine Roussel I just feel like there's a better NHL player in Zach McEwen I I, maybe we can talk a little bit about Michaelis and Howerluck a little bit because I think both have come in and done some things for the Canucks that are, are you know something that fans could be excited about. I think Howerluck's been pretty good on the forecheck. I like to see him throwing the body around and using his speed to to get into open spaces on the ice. But with Michaelis, um, I'm kind of in a different boat. I think being at the arena the other day and actually seeing him in a full game was interesting because... I just didn't see a lot coming from him at the NHL level. He he was given an opportunity late in the game to play with Bo Horvat uh, and Tanner Pearson as well at times, and you know that's that's a great spot to be in for a guy like who's just making his NHL debut and is playing in a couple games here. But he hasn't really stuck out for me necessarily. But for you with those two guys, uh, I guess what's your kind of overall assessment of what they've been like in their first few games as as a Vancouver Canuck? Okay, so with Howerluck, I thought his first couple of games, he definitely looked like a guy that didn't have his legs under him just yet, and I think we're kind of seeing him, I don't want to say get more comfortable, but 
like he is starting to move his feet more. And that was the yeah. one thing like when we talked about Howard Luck, it's like he's not a great skater. And at the last game I was at on Saturday uh, against Toronto, there was a moment there where he had a huge gaffe where he just he did he had to make a decision. He had to either go for the puck or get back and he took way too long to make that decision and the Leafs forward was just gone the other way like it was it was it was tough to watch like he was just gone like the guy took off and Howard like had no chance of getting at him uh, just because he decided too late what he was gonna do um so I mean that's just one instance where a guy doesn't look super comfortable and I was kind of looking for that and honestly I haven't seen a lot of that in Jace Howard Luck's game and what was really interesting to me Chris is <laughs> okay on Wednesday night Travis Green was the most pissed I have seen him in a presser in a very, very long time. Like, this guy oh, yeah. was legitimately furious. I think it's okay to use that word when it when you're talking about Travis Green in that press conference. Like, go back and watch it. I don't even know if they posted on Twitter because he was mad, okay? <laughs> um, you know, uh, Batch is like, Travis, uh, what do you think of the uh, what do you think of your team's performance? As he does every day, he asks the same question, basically, to start it off. It gets the feelers out there. And Travis is just... Usually he's like, ah, I like certain parts of our game. Even in the blowout losses, he's like, yeah, just execution, right? But he just stone phase. He's like very poor. And that was all he said. He was just like, a lot of guys did not play well enough tonight. And, uh, and then Wags asks him, uh, he's like, he's like, oh yeah. So, uh, in a night like tonight, something like that. And he's like, Jace Howerluck played pretty well. And, uh, Travis is just like, yeah, I'm not going to come out and pat anybody on the back in a night where we lost like this. And, like, he just basically was, was talking in, like, this long circle until at the end he was just, like... <laughs> Sorry, at the end he was like, yeah, but you're probably right. Uh, Howard Luck was all right tonight. And that was, like, the end of his answer. But it was just so funny because he was just using, you know, like, he's a guy, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a player's coach. He doesn't, he doesn't come out and trash his players in the media. Even, even when JT Miller had that fight and there was a question about, do you think that was probably not the best decision since he's your number one center? Uh, you know, Travis chose to stick up for his player, which is, you know, that's fine. As a coach, you want to do that once in a while. That's absolutely fine. But he was definitely not happy with that team's performance. And for him to, you know, it was obviously because he was asked about it, but you know, Howard Luck definitely was all right when a lot of his teammates weren't so yeah i don't know i think that most recent loss that's that's a tough one for the team to take but again if if there's a positive it was that howard luck actually didn't look that bad and i think he's just looked a little more comfortable with each game yeah i think what i've seen from howard luck and and actually first i, I gotta mention some about travis green because uh you brought it up there the way that he like just kind of quickly snaps back at some questions you can tell when he's very frustrated um there was a similar moment earlier in the year where he gave a one word answer, one word answer to Gemma Carson Smith, uh, and then he he ended up coming back and like not not really apologizing, but saying like, "Listen, I was a little short with my answer. Uh, I'll I'll ask I'll answer it again." And he kind of like bounced back with it, but like mm-hmm. that snappy version of Travis Green, where he just like you can clearly see that it's just like there's nothing, there's no media training there at all, where it's just like you ask him a question, he doesn't like it or he doesn't feel like answering it, and he just like snaps back with something quick, but then like recollects himself and like goes the like nice trained media guy way of like saying it but like i like that little snappy answer maybe not the one word to Gemma. uh that was pretty harsh and like i remember seeing her <laughs> in the arena she was sitting right in front of me at the time and we're all like damn and she's just like whoa and then she like even like showed him up. she's like do you have a follow-up Gemma?" and she's like no i'm good and then he, that's when i think he felt bad and came back and gave a better yeah. answer but but snappy travis green's a little bit of fun but to, to talk about jace howard luck 
Um, I, I think I'm at the point right now with what I've seen from Jace Howerluck where it's not a huge sample size at this point. I mean, we haven't seen him really be used in, in really like a, a top six spot yet. And I don't think that should be anything that should come in the near future. I, I'm just happy the way that he's been able to influence a game as a bottom six forward. Like, I think that he can make an impact. I don't think it's going to be a massive impact, but it, to me, it just kind of feels like a Tyler Mott light. Like he, he does actually skate around the ice pretty well. And I know that that's something that you brought up. Maybe that might be one of the weaker parts of his game, but I think he gets to pucks and he gets to open area pretty quick, but I just, I've been wanting to kind of see, I guess the bright side of what a lot of people thought that we were going to see from him, a guy who's just running around and not necessarily taking guys heads off, but getting involved physically on the boards and on the four check. And maybe I haven't seen enough of the physicality from him, but it's, it's pretty early, right? Like it's, it's a small sample size and I've liked him. I'm, completely content with him being a guy who's on your fourth line on one of the wings because I, I feel like he's a guy who could kill penalties the way that he plays a game it looks like he should be a penalty killer so I'm excited to see more of him but I gotta ask about Mark Michaelis because I'm just not impressed I'm, I'm honest like I'm not impressed from what he's done I've watched a little bit of tape from him in the NCAA looked like a different player uh, how he was affecting the game he was one of the top guys on his NCAA team and I'm wondering if he's a guy who needs to adjust his game to be a professional, right? Like he can't be the guy on the team with one of your leading scorers, setting up your scorers and playing with the best players. He's a guy that now has to adjust his game to play on a fourth line, right? Like if you want to be an NHLer, you're not, not everyone's going to be a scorer, right? Like not everyone's going to be a top six forward. Even if you were a top six forward your whole life and every spot that you played in. And for me, I just haven't really seen an adjustment where he can impact the game as a bottom six player. It's interesting that you brought up Tyler Mott because that's who I'm pointing to. Um, Actually, it was a really long time ago, but one of the earlier articles I did that I was actually pretty proud of was Tyler Mott's, like, origin story. And I just went back, and I was looking at scouting reports of this guy, and I was like... You know, I wrote this story basically when Mott forged himself a spot on the Canucks' fourth line out of training camp. And it was interesting because you look at scouting reports, and he was never projected to be a bottom six player. Like, he was always a scorer. He could play defensively, but it wasn't anything in his scouting reports that was like, oh, super defensively responsible forward, can kill penalties. I'm sure he was killing penalties at the college level because he was just that good. Like, he was, you know, he's an NHLer. He's a lot better than a lot of the people at college level. So, he's playing on Michigan's first line. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly who his line mates were, but he was with some guys who are now in the NHL, like, actually producing quite a bit. And I think... I want to say it was Debrinket, but I'm not sure. Or Drake Kajula, one of the two. It was it was somebody who was. I looked at the name. I was like, oh wow, he was on that line. Uh, you can. I'll look that up once uh, I stop talking here. But basically, what I'm trying to say is the big thing for Mott was he really shifted his game and he really recognized that. Well, I'm not going to play on the first line because Willie Desjardins is no longer the coach. So I really have to figure this out. Like if I want to make it in the NHL, I have to adjust my game. And all of a sudden he becomes this player that you need in your lineup every night. Like he is an integral part of the Canucks lineup. And I think it's safe to say that. Like, I think we're past the point where Tyler Mott's going to be a healthy scratch on this team. I think he's one of the few bright spots in the bottom six. And I, I, even just last season, there were times where people were saying like, okay, he, he could be in the press box, but you know, I, I don't think at this point in his career and his Canucks tenure, I don't think we're going to see Tyler Mott be a healthy scratch again. Like to me, he's like a third, fourth line player. Like he's an ideal bottom six player. You need like five or six Tyler Mott's in your bottom six for it to be effective. And right now they have one. So 
honestly, Chris, I think if Mark Michaelis wants to make it, again, he doesn't have that top-end skill that's going to help him play in a top six, but he's going to need to become that if he wants to stick in the NHL, and especially if he wants to stick with the Canucks. Yeah, I, I just pulled it up to look at his lines. Uh, the final year that he played at Michigan, his line mates were JT Comfer, who's obviously in the NHL now, and yeah. Kyle Connor, who scored 35 goals in 38 games there that year. Hey, but you know what? Tyler Mott was no slouch either. His final year at Michigan, 32 goals in 38 games. That's a heck of a line that yep. was playing together there. Not to mention the year before, Dylan Larkin and Zach Hyman on that team, as well as Andrew Kopp, a lot of NHL players yep. on that Michigan team. So, yeah, a lot of great talent around him. And you mentioned it. He's He's been a guy who has adjusted, and I'm completely in the same boat with you. I think that if you see the effort level that Tyler Mott gives you every single night, that's a guy who has a spot on any NHL team's fourth line. The fact that he can add killing penalties to his resume and also contribute offensively, I think that's why... And we could kind of switch gears here a little bit into the, the Canucks trade talks or what they can do to get this team better as the season goes on in a long-run situation. And I think that Tyler Mott has some trade value. I think he really boosted it in what he did in the bubble play in the playoffs last year, scoring an amount of goals that he did. And then scoring at the start of the season is another great boost to him because everybody's going to see that, you know, he's a fourth line guy who kills a lot of penalty minutes for you. But like there were times last year in the playoffs. And do you remember this where like Tyler Mott's playing like 18 minutes, like consistently playing 17 plus minutes in these playoff games. Like it was, it was a show to see Tyler Mott. He was obviously gaining a lot of respect, you know, a lot of that coming from the broadcast, of course. Course, but yes. throughout the Canucks, the Canucks Twitter sphere, like you know, it was Mott Girl Summer, right? Like it totally was. It was, it was him showing that he was an excellent fourth line contributor to a playoff team, and I think that's the value that's going to show for him at this upcoming trade deadline with a very small contract for next season. I, I just think that there's a real good chance the Canucks can actually get some good return for a guy like Tyler Mott. Yeah, exactly, absolutely, they can. And it was interesting. Drance has been kind of beating this drum, is that. Look, you're going to have to sign Pedersen, you're going to have to sign Hughes, and Mott is only under contract for this season and next. At the end of it, if he continues to play like he is now, and when I say now, I mean before he went down, you're looking at like a three to four, you're looking at another Jay Beagle or Antoine Roussel in your bottom six, but this one can actually play, right? That's what you're looking at, and you know, I'm not trying to say he's going to regress mightily and just instantly become a bad value contract. That's not what I'm trying to say about Tyler Mott. I'm saying that he's going to be an expensive fourth liner and the Canucks, when they're competitive are going to need to find more Tyler Mott's. And when I say more Tyler Mott's, I mean what they have in a cost controlled asset who's playing well in their fourth line. That's what they're going to need. They're going to need to surround that young core with that Again, that's where you really need to be a good talent evaluator. Your pro scouting department really needs to be on point, and they need to go find those cost-controlled assets that they can put on the fourth line and actually have a positive impact. You need to have secondary scoring on a competitive team, so I think you you won't want to overpay for him, and I think it'll be a situation where it's like, not we ran out of time, but we literally knew going into this that we wouldn't have enough cap space for him. And I know it's looking very, very far ahead, but again, like if you can flip him for a pretty good return, you absolutely take that deal. And yeah, like it sucks because they've developed him. Like they, you know, they took a chance on him. They traded Thomas Vanek for him and UC Yokin. No respect, to, no disrespect to him. Uh, but again, like this is a guy that's really blossomed un- under Travis Green and under this Canucks team. He's been a major part of it, especially in the playoffs. And yeah, you go into this year, it's looking like it's more or less the same. So it's interesting, Chris, to kind of follow this situation. And 
it'll be interesting because he had a high ankle sprain, right? And I'm wondering, you know, how how or if at all he will be affected when he comes back. Like, is he not going to be able to give 100% right away? Like, you know what I mean? I just, I yeah. wonder. Because even with a guy like Brock Besser, whoever we said is, yeah, he's 100% healthy. You know, Brock told us at the start of the year, he's like, yeah, like, I was worried about going into dirty areas. I was worried about... Uh, you know, like sometimes there was tightness in his back when he would shoot. Uh, that's actually a quote from a doctor I talked to, not not Brock himself. But he was saying like he he didn't feel like his shot was where it was, and it was a result of that back injury, which he was seemingly a hundred percent healthy from. But it's just you know it goes beyond oh they're ru- they're rushing him. That's not what they did with Brock. It's just he didn't feel like himself yet, and I'm wondering if there's going to be any of that with Tyler Mott and how that affects him going up to the deadline. Yeah, that's that's true, and it's going to be an interesting to see how he plays out. You know, when he does come back to actually just getting into action, if he's able to step up and be a contributor like he was early on in the season and throughout the playoff bubble, yeah, I mean his stock can only really rise at that point. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. But like going into it, and you know, what, we'll t- we'll switch gears a little bit now because I think this episode we talked about it before we started recording. We want to talk about more stuff that's going on the ice, that's going on, you know, on the ice right now with this team. And you mentioned the name there that, that I think we should expand on a little bit, and it's Brock Besser. Um, obviously, a lot of stories have been written about Besser this season. It's great to see him having a bounce back year. I just want to know, like, the one thing in his game quads that, you know, people are talking about, obviously, is like his shot's back, his shot, he's able to score goals, he's doing it from different parts of the ice. But what's one of the things that you're seeing from Brock Besser that maybe isn't being talked about enough about how he's really improved on the ice, not only, you know, as a scorer, but really just as an NHL first line player? I think it's mostly that he's matching up against elite competition. Like, he's matching up against first line players and he's playing in a shutdown role and Travis talked at the start of the year about the lotto line and kind of how he was going to be able to use that line in a matchup role and I think the player who's excelled the most and it's crazy to say this because we wouldn't have I would have thought you're nuts two years ago saying this but Brock Besser he's he's actually driving play on that line and not only is he producing at a near point per game pace, he's doing it against the toughest competition he's ever played in his career. Like, he is getting the toughest deployment he's ever gotten in his career, courtesy of Hockey Biz. Shout out to them. Um, and I think that's kind of what people aren't really recognizing. Like, it's easy to say, oh yeah, Brock is uh, Brock's producing again. He's, he's back to his rookie year. He's, he's, he said his shot feels as good as it did in his rookie year and the results are there. It's easy to say that, but... He's doing it against elite competition, and I think that's the thing that I don't see a lot of people talking about, but I think that's definitely something that people should be talking about, that not only is he producing, he's doing it against this elite, elite opposition. Yeah, that's a great point, and and he is. I mean, straight up, if you're on the line with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson for a majority of the season, you're going to get a lot of tough matchups. Not only the best defense pairing out there against you, but you've brought it up that, you know, Trent... Or I, I'm having such a problem now calling him Trent Green because I keep thinking of the quarterback who might be a little bit before your time. But Travis Green has used him in a role now where they're matching up against the other team's first lines. And this year it's not been as great. Uh, I think that you know they are still being outscored a little bit. So it's not great to see from the top line doing that because last year they were just outstanding in the easier matchups. Thank you, Bo Horvat, for that. But what you're, what you're bringing up here is, is a good point because... 
I, I'm seeing a lot in his game that's changed from his ability to score, right? Like his first year coming in, obviously he lit up the league just from his amazing wrist shot that was so accurate. You know, he wins the accuracy shooting competition at the All-Star game, MVP at the All-Star game. Like this guy was this guy was blowing up the scene in his rookie year. And then it falls off because of injuries a little bit. And now he's back to the form where you're right. He's 100% healthy, whether it's the back or the wrist or anything. Like it, it looks like a different Brock Besser. I just... I think that what you're missing still from Brock Besser's game, and it feels weird saying that there's something missing because he's taken a huge step. I mean, he's put up a ton of points this year. He's one of the league leaders in goals right now, just trailing a couple players, I believe. So, you know, 14 goals, 15 assists in the 30 games, almost a point per game for the guy. But I don't, I don't see the confidence in Brock Besser like I saw in his rookie season. Like, I'm not saying that he's not confident right now, but that rookie year, it just felt like when the puck got on his stick... You knew, he knew, everybody in the arena knew that he was going to beat the goaltender. Like, if he had enough space and was able to get his wrist shot off, it felt like it was going in every time. I don't know if maybe because of the couple of years of him not being able to do that, I just don't see it anymore on the ice. But I'm wondering, like, I think that there's room for him to grow. I think that if he's able to really get confident and think in his mind that he should be one of the top scoring players in the NHL... He's good enough to get there. I just think that there's a little bit of confidence that needs to be boosted. And I think that might come later on in the season when he gets to playing with Elias Pettersson again and can start to go on a real goal scoring streak like we saw in his rookie year. I'm just, I just think that like we're seeing a very good Brock Besser right now, but I think we can see like an excellent next level Brock Besser with a little bit more confidence. Man. Yeah. I, the thing is, I, I don't want to discount that he was playing against such crappy competition in his first year, right? Like, it's easy to look that confident when you've got, you know, third, fourth-line players barreling down on you rather than being worried about, you know, hustling back and making sure you've got your man and all that sort of stuff that he has to do now. Like, I, I think a sign of confidence in Brock's game is just how he's driving play right now, and that's something he just didn't do in his rookie year. He was definitely more of a passenger and a finisher in his rookie year, but he's making plays, and I think... I I get what you're saying. I absolutely get what you're saying when it comes to confidence, but I also think that we can't discount how much this player's grown, and honestly, like, if he can get that same... kind of what you're saying about the the confidence just rip the puck and just score from anywhere and everybody knows it's going in like i get that but if you're if he's able to do that and continue to drive play and he's playing against top competition you were legitimately looking at like a top 15 player in the sport are you not because like you have to be at that point and that's not something fans thought they had in brock besser and you know this is a hypothetical because who knows if he'll get back there but if he's able to shoot with that authority again and everybody in the rink, as you said, knows it's going in. Legitimately, that's a top 15 player in the sport. Yeah, I think what, and this is such an interesting discussion, because I think what you're saying that's different for me is that the confidence is in a different part of his game, right? Is that what you're kind of getting at? Like, it seems like being a play driver is where he's more confident than just being a finisher. I think that's the difference that we're both talking about here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, he's more confident with the puck on his stick now, and... Uh, you know, and when I say that, carrying the puck. Obviously, he's very, he was always confident with his shot. He never had to worry about that. But again, like that—that's the thing is, he said like he feels as confident now as he did in his first year. And again, he attributed that largely to the back injury. So, yeah, that—that that was an interesting quote to get from Brock for sure. 
here's here's what I'll add to that. And I just think that this is kind of where my ideology is coming from, is that you look at the way that Brock Besser is used on all these lines, right? Like, ever since Elias Patterson came in, he was the star, right? He was going to be the guy who brought this Canucks team back into contention for playoff spots, could be the guy who leads this team to a playoff run. And I'm not saying that hurt Brock. Obviously, that made him a lot better, being able to play with one of the best centers in the, in the world. I just... I don't think that the way that they deployed him on the power play, you know, sticking him behind the net when his most deadly asset on a power play is his shot is something that I just haven't really, I don't know. I haven't really agreed with it at certain times. I like the guy like Tyler Toffoli in that spot. I like a guy like Bo Horvat potentially being in that spot or JT Miller being in that spot. Like why hasn't, why hasn't that been an option to have Brock Besser in the bumper? Why, why would you not want to run your power play with that triangle of Brock Besser in the bumper, Elias Pettersson in his spot on the right, and then Quinn Hughes up top? Like, that feels like a really good fit for a guy like Brock Besser to get those shots off. Like, Horvat's able to get so many shots off. And I think putting a guy like Brock Besser into a spot where he can get even more shots off on the power play is just going to help his confidence in scoring. Because he's already super confident in the way that he's playing, obviously. He's almost a point per game with one with a ton of goals this year at 5-on-5 five five and on the power play. I just, I just, I don't know. I just, something just feels like he can get to another level. Man, I, I'm thinking about this, and one player that I kind of want to bring up as that bumper spot being an example of somebody who plays a similar game to Brock and has had success is TJ Oshie. Like, I don't think anybody has had more success in the bumper position in the league, in the sport, than TJ Oshie. And yeah. if that's a player that you think is similar to Brock Besser, then, yeah, you would expect similar results, would you not? And it's interesting because JT Miller basically said the other, like a week ago, that he thinks Bo's the best person he's ever seen in the bumper spot. And again, JT Miller was in Tampa. And I don't know if he's just saying that because he's a Canuck now. That's probably the reason. But, you know, Bo Horvat does get you some results in that spot. But I think you're right. Like, I think you at least have to try it if the power play goes through another dry spell where they, they need to kind of shake things up. And, you know, basically when the power play needs to shake things up, they switch uh, Patterson and Besser on their sides. That's basically all the the main thing that they do is they either give them the one-timer or they let them go downhill and be able to get a pass or take a shot short side it's interesting Chris because at what point do you shake up the power play to make that change where you know they've liked Besser in that behind the net presence and on the half wall they've liked him in that role so at what point do you think they actually make a change like what needs to happen for them to make a change there and, and that's the thing, like, they've had success with Horvat in his spot, and and Besser's been able to score from down low as well, so it's hard to say, like, oh, but it, it has worked, it's great, but, like, you look at this talent that this Canucks team can put on their first power play unit, and you have to think that that has the potential to be one of the best in the NHL. Like, straight up, you have Quinn Hughes at the point, not a lot of players walk the point like Quinn Hughes. He might not have the bomb like Shea Weber, but man, he gets shots towards the net. You have JT Miller does a great job setting up. Elias Pettersson on the right side is better than than almost everyone in the NHL at the one-timer there. I just I just feel like there's a lot of skill and maybe a shakeup would help. The only thing that kind of takes me away from the Barack Besser in the bumper position is I like the way that it works with a left-hand shot going to Horvat from the left side, just because it's it's a pass that 
helps generate a better one-timer because it's actually going sort of backwards. If you're looking at like a right shot on the left side, he's going to have to kind of pass it forward to get on the Horvat's stick when a guy on the left side just has to kind of pass it backwards for a better one-timer. And with Pedersen on the right side throwing it to a right-hand shot in the middle on the bumper, it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're not going to be able to generate that strength behind a one-timer like you would with a guy passing backwards. So I, I think that that might just be another idea. But like maybe... Maybe there's a way to get him back on the left side shooting pucks because with Pedersen out right now, it looks like he's very confident on the power play. He's shooting more pucks. Uh, he you know wired that one timer the other day against Montreal. That was gorgeous. So I just I just feel like there's another step. Like I feel like there's another step for him, and he's been amazing. He already has taken a huge step in a lot of other parts of his game, but to me, it's just like if he can get back that little bit of added confidence. You're right. Like this guy has a chance to be one of the top 15 scorers in the NHL because he's just that skilled and that aware of where he can be on the ice to generate the most offense. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like I wonder how much more growth there is for Brock, you know what I mean? And on that note, you know what I was just reminded of that training camp after the back injury where he just came in like looking like Brock Lesnar. <laughs> like that was <laughs> amazing and it was just I think that was a good testament to, you know, all he was able to do was work out, right? And he wasn't able to get much ice. And, you know, it was a bit of a down year for him. And even last year, he wasn't really confident. He wasn't back to where he was in his rookie year. This is the first year that he said that he's back to where he was in the rookie year and feeling the same confidence and shooting the same way that he was in his rookie year. So, I don't know, Chris, it's going to be interesting to watch this player's progression, but I think undoubtedly he's been the Canucks MVP through the first half. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think on the other side, we're going to go with the most surprising player. We're going to touch on that a little bit. And then we're going to close out with the story that's come out of Utica right now. Uh, and as well, we're going to do a little bit of a prospects wrap-up, get to the betting segment. But we'll have all that on the other side. We're going to throw to a quick break here, and we will see y'all on the other side. All right, guys, before we go any further into the episode, are you a fan of simulation and hockey management games? Then be sure to check out Puck Drop, an up-and-coming game for your iPhone and iPad that puts you in the role of general manager of your favorite hockey franchise. In this mode, you guys can sign players, trade players, scout prospects, and select your team to try and build the next cup champion. A lot of fun for people that know about those simulation leagues back in the day. I don't know if anybody else was in these back in 2010, but uh, similar deal here, but now on an app. So just search for Puck Drop in the app store or visit puckdrop.app and start playing for free today. So check it out, or you can follow them on Twitter as well, at puckdropmanager. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring. 
and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employees on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trade jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade. The Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now and a big thank you to our sponsors of course uh we couldn't do this show without them or if we did it would be a lot worse that's for sure um quads i want to dive into a couple things right off the top get away from hockey a little bit here i'm just curious you know people want to learn about you they might want to learn about me what's your favorite movie of all time uh probably the godfather (laughs) i know it's so funny i say that because jd gave me the nickname (laughs) the godfather actually i think it was justin that did that first justin morrison i think he was the one i'm not sure jd was the first one to call me the quadfather on the podcast um but yeah the godfather is definitely my favorite movie (laughs) i've so uh shout out uh to the folks over at nux misconduct and the podcast they're putting out they call us the quadfather and the podfather Oh, I like that. I I do like that. You definitely are the Podfather for sure. I think I'm just the Podfather because I listen to, to every single podcast. Like, man, people don't understand how many podcasts you can listen to if you work at a mill. Like, I wouldn't talk to anybody like all day. Or if people came up to me, I'd just be like, oh, I gotta stop the show and talk to this person at the mill. But whatever. I I still to this day still listen to a ton of podcasts. I just feel like there's nothing better. Then, like, maybe you're just playing, like, NHL or Madden. I've been playing a little bit lately. But you just put on a podcast at the end of the night. Just, it's a really nice thing to just relax with. I know that. Yeah. I I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. That's the thing. It's so funny we do one because I, I don't listen to a lot of them. Like, my rotation is, like, I listen to the Vancast. Uh, I listen to Office Ladies for a bit, which was really good. Uh, I listen to Whistleblower, which is a good one. Uh, I, I should probably shouldn't be giving uh, recommendations for other podcasts on the podcast, but uh, yeah, those are like those are my top three for sure. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> what Especially you want to do is want to shoot for. Yeah, shoot for the the guy that's ahead of us, anyways. So that that's fine if you can shoot at the bandcast. We we still want to catch them one day in the rankings, and it's possible. It is possible. Share the share the show with your friends. Let's let's beat the bandcast. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Obviously, with the Utica Comets, um, there are some things that me and Corey talked about on Tuesday, and we were super excited because we're like, wow, you know, it was. I think there was 21 days left in the month when we were talking about it, and we're like nine games over the next 21 days. What a great spot for these. Guys guys to be developing with these young players like Jadovich and Cole Lind having great starts and you know we even discussed it on the last podcast with Mikey DiPietro getting down it would have been a perfect time for them looks like the weekend schedule has been canceled for the Utica Comets they didn't play Friday as we're recording this today Uh, I don't believe they're playing Saturday as well Uh, do you have an update on that quads I haven't really checked today no I, I don't think so I don't think they're playing either game 
yeah, I think they canceled the weekend series, which is unfortunate because, like we said, and it was something that we were both super excited for. And even hearing Trent Cull talk about it, he was just excited to get back to a regular AHL schedule, you know, because over the past couple of years, it's been you play on Wednesday, you play on Friday, you play on Saturday, and occasionally you drop in a Sunday game or a Thursday game here and there. But it was going to be nice to watch the comments get into a little bit of a run here. I'm just curious because you're not watching the games like I, like myself and Corey are watching, but like, what are the stories that you're liking out of the Utica comments a lot this year? I think Cole Lynn turning into a center is really cool. Uh, there's one story about the goaltending situation uh, that I am enjoying, uh, that I'm working on, and talking to somebody on Monday that I'm very excited. Uh, people have heard me hinting about it for the past week because I was going to post it last Saturday, and then I was like, it's missing something. It's it's just missing something. And I found out what it's missing, and now I am finding that missing piece, talking to that missing piece on Monday and that story will be out hopefully on Tuesday morning. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm over the moon to talk about that situation. And it's not really so much about the goaltenders. It's more about how the goaltenders are developing uh, under a certain staff member of the Utica Comets. So it'll it, it'll be an interesting story. It's, it's a good one. But yeah, that's one story that I'm really liking. And I guess it's kind of because I'm telling it. But yeah, I... Again, it's cliche that I pick the goaltending situation, but yeah, that's one. And then I think the biggest one, though, Chris, is definitely Jack Rathbone. Just a great person who's been on this podcast a few times, and you know, you just you you like to see people like that succeeding, right? And again, that's a guy that we were talking at the start of the season, Chris. Like this was a guy that may have been able to challenge for a spot on this team, and I think especially you know if they don't sign Hamonic, I think we would have seen. Uh, Jack Rathbone by now uh, in an NHL game and I think we're gonna see him in one by the end of the year not sure when not sure how but I am confident that we will see Jack Rathbone in a Canucks uniform at some point actually I probably shouldn't say that because there's quarantines until the quarantine gets waived which it might during the season we'll see we'll see there's a lot of variables yeah most definitely speaking of that it's it's really strange to see fans back in the arena in some of those American rinks eh oh man yeah like okay so I was watching Columbus today and Columbus was the first first organization, I believe, that didn't allow fans into the arena with COVID. Uh, and I think they're one of, well, I guess Dallas already did. But Columbus is allowing fans back in. And it's just like, you know, I, I it's funny because when we go to these games and we're sitting in the suites there, I'm always thinking to myself, like, what would it look like with fans in here? And I think the only way to make it work is, like, you divide each section into two with a horizontal line basically and you basically have like gee i don't know like five six rows in between each person and then you have like different two parties in each section i think gee i'm trying to remember how many sections there are in rogers arena but i think the concern would be not so much where are you sitting in the arena but is everybody flooding to the washroom at the same time is everybody going to the concession at the same time and it's a hockey game so the answer Mm -hmm. is yes um and I think that's the main concern. And, like, I, I get why there's no fans, but I'm also curious, like, how could this, what would this look like when it starts to work, right? And as the vaccine continues to roll out. And, yeah, I mean, it's weird to see them in rinks for sure, but I don't know. Like, I haven't personally read any data about, like, transmission at sporting events, but, man, when I see the Texas Rangers in baseball coming back with maximum capacity, Look, I don't need to see much reporting to know that that's just not a good idea. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's the extreme of it. But I, I don't know, like seeing like, I don't know, like 
50 fans or whatever the number would be. That that might be kind of cool to see at Rogers Arena yeah. one day. I thought it would be pretty cool as well. I just feel like, man, just knowing the way that this ownership group works, like I wonder how much he would charge for tickets for like the most diehard Canucks fans to watch a game in person. Like yeah. I, I would have to think it would be, you know, four hundred to six hundred dollars for a ticket. Man, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to Unless, stunt on I'm, anybody, yeah. but I would not pay that to watch this team. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Unless they went the route of like bringing in like you know first responders and and putting them in the arena, I think that would be a great idea. And I think that's what you're seeing somewhat around some of the some of the uh, the teams in America that are able to get their fans back. I've just I've noticed a lot of guys you know in uniform or gals in uniform at these games. So I'm wondering if that's what they're doing. I would be curious to see if the Canucks would do something similar or if they want to just make some money and uh, charge people a ton to get in the arena. But you mentioned it, yeah. I don't know if I'd be throwing six hundred bucks out of the old bank account um, <laughs> to be able to go to that arena i think the the best people that have had it is the media folk in vancouver so the for a lot of people that don't know like there's a brand new suite that i think was introduced last year right yeah something like that the encore suites yeah so the encore suite is where the media stays and man it's got like huge couches i'm i'm so i'm so curious to see how much that would actually cost in like regular times non-covid world like to rent out to have that as your suite like i could just i couldn't even imagine how much it would cost because it's it's glorious it's huge and we've seen pictures of what it looks like there's actually like a buffet normally in there which would be great but the lineups that we get right now that's another positive (laughs) you know going to the games as media folks you walk right up you go up you get yourself a triple o's burger and there's not one person in line it's excellent i've never seen it like that at a sporting event so that's a plus for sure but all right let's let's get back on track a little bit here because (laughs) i did mention before the break that i want to talk about some of the biggest surprises of the season for the vancouver canucks but what I want to do is, as an organization, look at some of the bigger surprises. And I want to go off the books a little bit here, Quads, because, listen, Niels Huglander's been the biggest surprise. That's yeah. what everyone's going to say. He's potentially one of the most exciting to watch, but he's 100% been the biggest surprise for the Vancouver Canucks this year. His ability to just come in and be an effective top six player night in and night out is incredible, and it's surprised everybody it's it's surprised everybody that watched him play it surprised people that didn't watch him play it's you know it surprised people that read about what he was going to bring i just think that he's the biggest surprise it's not really up for debate so i'm curious like if you have something maybe off the board a little bit that you've been surprised with in a positive way about this canucks team hmm i'm i'm trying to think and i don't just want to say brock besser driving play because i already harped about that for a while my biggest surprise like I also don't want to say Thatcher Demko because I I told everybody this was what was going to be happening. Like when we talked about Thatcher Demko, like <laughs> I said, he that that bubble performance was not going to be a one and done, and you know that was a lot of the conversation around this goaltending situation was, oh well, Demko's not going to be Markstrom, and even I knew he wasn't going to be Markstrom, but right now he's playing better than Markstrom, so I'm not, you know I, I'm just I'm just playing around here, but I. I don't want to say Demko because, again, that's another cliche for me to say. Biggest surprise, honestly, and you're making me do a positive one, so I, I guess I have to go Demko because I, what I was going to say, Chris, was the biggest surprise is JT Miller. Uh, and I think just kind of, you know, you, you kind of expected him to come in and have a repeat performance because what he did last year didn't seem like it was anything where it's like, oh, well he's going to have trouble replicating that this year. Like that just did not seem to be the case with JT Miller's play last year. So I guess I'll say him, but again, you asked for a positive one. So it has to be Demko well, no, I, for me. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we don't have to go that way. I think that, yeah, that's been one of the surprises for sure with JT Miller. And um, I'll go off the books a little bit. Maybe this will help kind of give you another idea for a positive one. But just throughout the organization, I'm really liking that there's a plan down in Utica. I'm really liking, like, hearing... Maybe it's different because now we're actually on the Zoom calls with the Comets and we're actually talking to Trent Cull. We're hearing how the day-to-day is going. You know, Corey's obviously in the year and talking to Ryan Johnson a lot as well to kind of hear how they're doing things down there. And just one of the quotes that just stuck with me last, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, asking why Cole Lind was still playing center when Lucas Yassick got moved up to his line and has been a center for a year longer than Lind and has played a lot more center for Trent Cull. Just hearing Cull talk about there actually being a plan from the organization for a guy like Cole Lind. Like, this wasn't just thrown in there. It's like, hey, you know what? Let's let's see if Cole Lind can play center. Like, this has been a plan that's been laid out for a guy in his development to say, like, if he can make his transition to center, he's going to be a very valuable player for us, potentially even a third-line center down the road. And the way that they've been kind of deploying some of these guys down in Utica, I've just liked a lot of what I've seen lately. They're obviously losing uh, a tough amount of guys to – to I guess like the taxi squad right like this is a very different AHL team that we're seeing down there but now that you have Jack Rathbone down there I think Jet Wu's been put into a lot of great situations and even even after Jet Wu's had some failures here and there because not everything's been great for him he doesn't have a point yet this season but he's playing good defensively but even when he made like a really a really bad defensive mistake where he gave the puck away and they ended up getting scored on Trent Cole went right back to him like went right back to him like he went and skated off and then he was out for the next shift to go out there and play tough minutes against top six competitions so just seeing these young guys develop in Utica like I've I've been su- really surprised with Carson Folk and Will Lockwood I mean these guys are just you know there are players that just have such high motors and I've liked that out of a lot of draft picks that the Canucks have picked over the past three to four years is just you see the motors on these kids and they're they might not be able to affect a game and just dominate it like, just go out there and every single night dominate and just, you know, refuse to lose when they're playing. But what they do is they go out there and they're working their asses off to get a win. And I think that that's something that's just surprised me with this Comets team is how quickly guys like Jet Wu, Carson Folk, and Will Lockwood have made an adjustment to being a professional hockey player for the first time. Okay, that's a cheap one, though, because you picked Utica. You didn't say I could go down south there. You've got you've to give I, me your biggest whoa, positive whoa. surprise from the Canucks. Well, well, I said through the organization. That's cheap, man. That that's a cheap uh, man. See, oh now everybody's goodness. gonna think I'm the negative one because I I couldn't come up with a positive. You have to well, come I'll up give with you one a negative for the NHL surprise. team. Okay, I'll give you a negative surprise from the NHL team. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> and you're gonna love this because it's goaltending. But like, man, Braden Holtby has just not been what a lot of people were hoping for when they looked at the most optimistic view of what Holtby could bring to this team. Yeah. Where he comes in, works with Ian Clark, one of the best goaltenders in his league. He finds a way to get back to what he was like in, when he was younger, and it's just not happened. Like, it just has not happened. Um, I thought there was some good stuff said by Kevin Woodley earlier this week about why it might take some time to develop because he, under pressure, he might be falling back on his old ways when you see him trying to make adjustments to what Ian Clark is doing to his game. And, you know, that's been a disappointment because you see the $4.2 million cap hit on Braden Holtby, and you're like, man, if he's only going to play... You know, like we've talked about in the past couple episodes, five of the last 30 games this season. Like, would it be the worst thing to have Mikey DiPietro be that guy? To play five of the last 30 games? Like, that? now you're at a point where it's just like, Braden Holby's not helping this team. And I wouldn't say he's hurting DiPietro, because I don't think DiPietro's ready to be a backup yet. But, like, the way that Thatcher Demko has just taken this job and should be in net most nights for the Vancouver Canucks... 
it's pretty it's pretty crappy that the Canucks are paying Braden Holby four point two million dollars. Yeah, it is. It's tough because, like, I don't know. It was like, it's interesting because Andrew Harris wrote an article today about how you kind of need to look at the trade deadline as like a gamble and and like with odds and you know that's a great great uh, early mention of oddshark.com uh, sponsor of this show um but it it's interesting because you kind of have to look at it like what is the high end of this bet and what is the low end and i think right now we're seeing what can only be assumed is the low end of the canucks bet the 4.2 million dollar bet that they made and again like Man, a lot of people are still talking about, man, okay, well, Seattle's just going to take him and they're going to have a starter. That is a backloaded deal. And people will remember, yeah, I think Drance was talking about this, but I also mentioned it on the show a few times, the way to keep Markstrom from getting selected from Seattle and not having to worry about losing either Markstrom or Demko was to backload that contract and sign Demko. Or, sorry, protect right. Demko and keep Markstrom on a backloaded deal and hope that Seattle or sorry, not a backloaded the second year being the highest of that deal. You hope that Seattle looks at that and says, okay, well we don't want to take on that real cash right now. So we're not going to take him. And that was the path. And now the Canucks have done that with Holtby. And I don't think they, you know, and I don't want to say they did it by accident, but I don't think that like, I almost think that they were like, well, we don't want Seattle to take him, so we're going to backload the deal. But also, obviously, the pandemic uh, is probably the biggest factor going into that. But now it's like, geez, like that's that's going to be another deterrent. Aside from Holtby's poor play, that's going to be another deterrent for Seattle not to take him. And that's going to be a contract that's on the Canucks books next year unless they get creative and make a trade or convince Seattle to take him somehow. It's just... It's a mess, Chris, and it's it's a tough yeah. one, to, tough pill to swallow because again, it's a bet that you hoped you were gonna hit on with Ian Clark working with them, and, and man, it's tough. It was so funny. Mister Booth posted a photo of like a a car that had been crushed, and it was just completely, yeah. <laughs> completely annihilated. And it's like Ian Clark, can you please fix this? And it was just like, yep, that's a good analogy. Yeah, no, it's it's been tough to see Holtby have a sub-900 save percentage. It was something that was talked about a lot when he came here and that that was going to change under, under you know, the eye of Ian Clark and, and him being able to change his game into a better way. I guess the positive you can look at it from the Holtby situation is he is going to get a full season of work with Ian Clark and then come into next year with another season where he's able to work with him, right? Like, this, this situation kind of plays out well. I still think the two-year contract, the Canucks did a very good job with that because I think by the end of next season, I mean, even if you can flip Holtby at the deadline for something, I think that's the time around the deadline next year, that's when Mikey DiPietro should be getting NHL starts. Like, not obviously as a starter, but as a backup when Thatcher Demko is playing 75% of the games. I think by the trade deadline next year, that's the time I would really like to see uh, Mikey DiPietro play for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I think you're right. And we're assuming that there's going to be a regular year next year. St. Louis is going to have their own farm team. Uh, so I think, yeah, <laughs> Mikey DiPietro is going to be Utica's starter next year. And I don't think that's a bad thing for him, especially, you know, to kind of get feel a puck again after he's had almost a full year now. Actually, over a full calendar year where he hasn't had any game action. And I think he's going to yeah. benefit from that, Chris. Uh, I do think your timeline is correct, though. Like, I, I do think by the trade deadline, you want to call him up. Because, again, 
that's what the Canucks did with Demko. Uh, DiPietro is obviously on a faster timeline because he became the starter in Utica. He forced his way into that job faster than Demko did. So he's on a bit of a quicker timeline. But again, like that also lines up with getting Archer Silov starts in Utica, right? Like if Silovs can back mm. up next year in Utica, which I think he will, unless again, like they may decide they want Kylie in that role and that maybe Silovs goes to the ECHL. Like who knows? There's a lot of options when it comes to the Canucks goaltending depth. And... I'm curious to see kind of how they view DiPietro and how they view what the correct timeline for him is when it comes to his development. I think it's close to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think that's a great setup for them. And I think that that's, that's the best form of action to get the development plan back on track, right? If you can set a date like the trade deadline next year to say that's the time we want to get you into games then maybe there's a way of explaining why not getting DiPietro into games this season is actually viable for him to to continue on this development path because he's been off to a great start to his uh, his career uh, as a pro and we'd like to see that continue but I guess, you know, since we're kind of talking about one of the prospects, why don't we dive right into a prospects report? Uh, don't have a lot to talk about this week uh, since Vasilipod Colson's not in action and Quad's I hate to say it, he's not playing for a full damn week, man. He's not playing till next Thursday. And so they've had like a good eight days off, and, and everybody's just kind of cheering for, for Pod Colson to get knocked out. Uh, I did reach out to Dmitry Zlodiev, who is a part of Dynamo, uh, who they are, who Scott is playing in their playoff round, in their second round matchup. I let Dmitry Zlodiev, uh, who I call Z, I let him know that I'm cheering for his squad to beat, Ska, to beat SKA and knock them out of the playoffs. And he said, they're happy to have me on board as a fan. So I'm happy to report that <laughs> as, I, as I talk to Z. Uh, and so, yeah, Pod Colson not going to be in action until next Thursday. But then... That's what, man, like this is the, this is now the time where SKA is in a point where they can lose. Like they weren't going to lose this first round series. They just weren't. They're so much of a better team, but there was like four good teams in their conference this year. And those four teams ended up winning. So now they're off to a point right now where the four teams that are left in his conference, they're strong teams. And there's a, I wouldn't say a good chance. Like, I don't think that they're the betting favorite to lose. I think Scott does have a little bit of an advantage here. But Dynamo played a pretty good first series, a lot better than Ska did. So I think we're at a point now where Pod Colson Watch really is on. Because if he's eliminated, it's time for Jim Benning to actually get to work here and be able to get him out of Russia and into North America. Because it benefits Pod Colson to get here for, for the money value that he's going to be able to get. Get an NHL contract, get some NHL money, play some games in the NHL. It's a great thing. But also... Coming in next year is a fine idea too. With a fresh start, I like the idea for that kid. So there are two options here. I would love to see him in here as soon as possible. But I do get that coming into training camp next year is a great thing for him as well. Um, I'm curious, where do you kind of stand on that, Quads? Like, do you think it should be a goal for them to get him in here if they're eliminated, say, in you know two weeks from now? Do you think that the Canucks should really be pushing to get him in? I think so. I think you are looking at, for the players' development, that is the best thing for him getting his feet wet kind of seeing oh wow okay I have to work on that over the summer and then I'll be ready for next year I think that's the best thing for him but again this is a guy with a huge motor and he just he he gives you everything every shift right just like Nils Huglander and from an organizational standpoint Chris I think waiting until next year to burn a year off his ELC is undoubtedly the best thing. Like, look, we're in a flat cap world for at least two more seasons. And if you can, honestly, it's it's just no matter flat cap or not, having an elite player like Pod Colson, again, this guy's going to play in the top six. 
having him on an ELC for three years when, you know, especially when you've got to sign Pedersen and you got to sign Hughes and you got to sign Demko, that is huge for this team. And look, it's it's crazy that we're looking this far ahead, but Brock Besser's going to need a new contract in two years' time. And yep. if you have to get Pod Colson and Besser done at the same time, that's actually, no, you'd be getting Horvat. Sorry, Horvat and Pod Colson would be getting contracts done at the same time. That's not super ideal. So I don't know, Chris. Like, I think you, from an organizational standpoint, you definitely want to wait. But again, it's tough to say because I think the organization does want to get him in and I don't think they're dumb for doing that. I think that's what's best for the player's development. And at the end of the day, the organization should be looking out for the players. So it's kind of like a, it's a double-edged sword, I think. To catch 22. Yes. I believe is the, is the way to say it or double-edged sword. That, I guess that well, works as double well. Double-edged sword would suggest that both outcomes are bad. And I don't think it is because, you know, okay. you know, neither of those are going to be detrimental to Vasily Pod Coles and, or the Canucks, right? Like it'll just be something they have to manage with. And yeah. Anyway, you know what it's like? It's like a double-edged mini wheat, like the cereal. It's like when you get one that's got frosting on both sides. Oh, okay. Yeah. Double-edged. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever. But yeah, I know what you mean. It works. It's it sort of works. It's a All double right, the other thing I wanted mini to, wheat. There you go. Yeah, Pod Colson's situation is a double frosted mini wheat. I think that might be the name of the episode. Um, <laughs> the other thing was uh, spoke with Jonah Gajevich, who obviously has been tearing up the AHL, eight goals in nine games. I just wanted to read out one of the quotes that was uh, just popped off the page for me, um, and it's about. Gadjevich just feeling like everything seems a bit better in his game and things are just coming easily for him. So this is this is a quote from Jonah Gadjevich earlier this week. He said, Overall, I feel better mentally and physically. I feel more confident. I feel like I'm getting to pucks first this year, more often than I was before. I feel stronger on pucks. I feel stronger in front of the net. I feel like my hands are better in front of the net. I just feel like I have overall just improved my game. I think that for me, it's just about being confident and playing with that edge. I'm just trying to go out there and do my job. And man, like, this kid is off to a great start right now with the Utica Comets. We talked with him in the offseason on the podcast here, and I thought that he was very well-spoken. And what we didn't know at the time was, like, this dude's in the gym six days working his ass off so he could get to the next level with it. But one of the quotes that I loved, like, I love to hear him say this because this is so true. And if he's able to take this confidence to the next level, this is what's going to make him successful as a Canucks bottom six winger. But the way that he said is, I know that I can score goals. When asked about the differences uh, in this last season to this year. And then he followed that up by saying, I know that if I play hard, I can outmuscle the defense in front of the net. Because it's true. That's what he can do, man. Like, he can straight up go out there and outman any guy in the age. Freeze. I'm super curious to see if he's able to do something similar at the NHL level. Because if he does, he's going to find a lot of success. Yeah. Okay, how's his skating, Chris? Because that's the thing that I've heard is the issue with Gadgets. That's the biggest issue. So... In your opinion, how is his skating? Yeah, his skating isn't going to hurt him at the AHL level right now, but what I see in his skating is kind of comparable to Brogan Rafferty's skating. Like, he doesn't have the speed to jump off the page at the AHL level, but he moves well at the AHL. The thing that I think we're seeing different from last year to this year is the quick reaction time and quick pivots that he's able to do. So there are things in his skating that has improved, but it's not like he's automatically just going to become an average NHL skater. Like he's a below average NHL skater right now. And that's not going to change through one off season of really hard work. It's definitely improved a few things. Like, like I said, the quick movements that we see from him, it doesn't look like he's so stiff like he was last year. And this year it just feels like there are some things that are improving, but he's not at the level to be called an average NHL skater right now. Interesting. Good analysis. So yeah, I, 
again, that's another guy that you just have to kind of keep your eye on and hope for the best for when you're when you're evaluating him because yeah, I, yeah. like I, he's not going to make an impact in an NHL lineup right now and. I think, you know, you just kind of have to wait until he's able to. And that's kind of the name of the game with development, with uh, yep. with young players, especially ones who oh. can't skate very well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's at he's at the point right now where if he does add that skating coming into next year, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch him and Cole Lynn compete for a spot at training camp next season, I think. So we'll get to that eventually. Uh, final thing that I want to talk about. He was just on the show last week, Aiden McDonough. An exciting award for him as he was named the PNC Bank Three Stars Award for Hockey East. So he was named as one of the top three players. This award commemorates dominant play over the course of the season. This is kind of somewhat to do with if you're named a star in a game, you get a certain amount of points and you get to the end of the season, they tally up all the points. Aiden McDonough was actually first in Hockey East for that. So that's great to see. He was tied for, for first. So, I mean, a little caveat there at the top. But, like, what he, he was in a fine spot. He was rated tied for first as one of the most, you know, dominant players in Hockey East this year. That's a division with a lot of great schools like Providence, Boston College, UMass. I mean, name, there's a lot of great schools in that division, in that conference. And speaking of his game, he's going to have his first playoff match against UMass. They're going to play them on Sunday at 1.30. So I'll definitely have gifts coming out at about 1.30, starting early in that game. And this is a guy who really steps up in big moments. We saw what he did at the Beanpot last year in his freshman season, one of the best freshman performances we have ever seen at the Beanpot, which is very impressive for a guy who grew up in Hockey East area. And I just think that he's a guy who steps up in these big situations. So I'm very excited to see what he does on Sunday in that quarterfinal matchup as they move through the hockey east playoffs and i think we mentioned it on the show but just i'll add to it it's one and done in the playoffs right now for hockey east you play one game you win you move on if you lose your your season's done um so that's going to be a fun game on sunday and then the final thing we're going to have some stuff about the draft coming up over the next couple days or not a couple days, couple shows. I think that in the next few weeks here, we are going to dive into some draft talk just to kind of get some preliminary feels about some players and maybe where the Canucks will end up, you know, drafting. I got a feeling they're going to be in the top 10 to draft. And I think that's an exciting thing for a lot of people that enjoy covering prospects and diving into the draft thing. I felt last year quads. And I think you, you share this sentiment that, at Canucks Army specifically, like they've done a hell of a job in the time before you and I were both there about covering prospects. I felt like even two years ago, my first year with them, it was a lot of fun putting out a ton of content about the draft. I'm excited to get back into it this year. We're going to have some of our friends who cover draft prospects to come on the show. We're also going to have some draft prospects come on the show in the next little bit. We have some exciting interviews lined up, but like, I, I don't know. I just take it back to like two years ago when I was doing this show we had like a ridiculous lineup of guys that were picked in the top 15. I think we had six players that were drafted in the top 15 of the 2019 draft that were on the show. So guys like Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy, uh, Cam York. There was multiple guys from the United States Development Program that came on the show, and it was awesome to get them on. So we're going to kind of do something similar as the Canucks are going to have a high draft pick this year and actually have a pick in the first two rounds. Uh, so we're going to dive into a little bit more of that stuff now as you know, specifically if the Canucks start to fall off a little bit. So I'm excited for that, Quads. I don't know about you. I think fans should be excited because now – if you if you ever get into a Twitter debate or whatever uh, with Col- with a Montreal Canadiens fan or anybody else, all you have to do is go pull up the quote where their favorite player said that he would love to play with Elias Pettersson on this show, <laughs> because that's like one question you asked a lot of them. And I know there's one from Cole Caulfield where it was like, 
yeah, so what would you think of coming to Vancouver? That sort of thing. He's like, he's like, oh man, I would love to play with Elias Patterson and Brock Besser. And like, I think that was like basically what Caulfield said. So if you ever get into an argument with a Habs fan, you just pull up that conversation from this show and we're going to have a lot more with some, uh, top picks. One, one player that we had was Brock Faber, which was, uh, which is pretty fun. Oh no, you didn't have Brock Faber on. You DM'd him, but you didn't have him on the show, right? We uh we talked the other day actually. I I wished him uh, congratulations on uh, whatever award he won in his division. Uh, he still says he's down to come on the show. I don't know when the right time to have Brock Faber on the show and when cousin cousin Brock wants to jump on the show. I, I'm not sure when the right time to do that is. I feel like off season, but like he's down because I remember. So people that don't know the way that we like started talking was on Instagram. It was you know one of Quads' old slide in the DM tricks, and I, I was talking to. I was talking to him and I just thought it was like, I was like, man, I hope that uh, the Canucks can grab you in the third round, but I think you're going to be gone by then. And he was like, man, it'd be a lot of fun to have one of the reporters there with the same last name as me. I'm like, oh man, you don't even know. You're not the one writing articles. I'd have a blast with that. And we kind of joked around a little bit. Um, and he's down. He said he would be down to come on the podcast. So it'll be interesting to to have a little favor on favor conversation here on the Canucks convo. It's basically my dream. You know, having two Fabers host the show, I just don't have enough of me to get around. But, you know, that's why I've settled on you as a co-host instead of just me talking to myself, I guess. I have never met another Quadrelli. That's not related to me, obviously, but I've never met really? another Quadrelli. So when we find him, uh, when uh, when another Quadrelli joins the NHL, actually, I'm not in the NHL, but you know what I mean. When an NHL <laughs> draft pick is last year, Quadrelli, he's coming on the show. Yeah, that. Uh, so what's that guy's name going to be? Like, I could have guessed that Brock Faber, or Curtis Faber, or Jordan Faber would have been the name. But for Quadrelli, with the nice Italian name, like, what's uh, what's his first name going to be when we hear about a Quadrelli prospect? Antonio, Francesco, Davide. That's a good one. Um, yeah, one of those for sure. Okay. Just want to, we'll see if it happens here in the future then. But we got, you know, a lot of, like I said, it's going to be a lot of fun putting out the draft content over the next couple of weeks here. Uh, you know, honestly, for the next few months, like if the Canucks are really falling and they're going to have a tie draft pick, I'm so excited to get back into draft prospect coverage. I love forming opinions on guys that not a lot of people have seen and, you know, having your opinions counteract with some of the guys like Cam Robinson and JD Burke and a lot of other people covering prospects. I spoke with um, Alexa Potak as well. She's interested in coming on the show to talk about some SHL prospects in the future. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff that we're going to do with prospects once the Canucks are kind of at that point of almost being eliminated. So uh, anything else you want to close out the show with here quads? Nope. This was a fun episode, Chris. Sounds good, man. Yeah, it ran a little long. Uh, we went off the rails a little bit at the start of the second half, but uh, cleaned it up in the end with some some fire prospect talk and some Utica Comets chatter as well. Uh, so th- for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of The Canucks Conversation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 